Good morning. Good morning. It's not here. I don't have the clicker at all. I need a flashlight. It's gone. It's like I'm gone. That's it. It's gone. Not here. If we could find that, that would be super helpful. It'd be sad for Corbett. I have to give you a signal, give you the nose scratch to move me ahead. In John chapter 13 through 17, it cannot be overstated, I don't think, how important and significant that event is. When you have the opened up to John 13 and you see what's transpiring in, in chapter 13, in chapter 14, in chapter 15, in chapter 16, in chapter 17, I want you to imagine and paint the picture with me. That you have Jesus, and you have him there with his disciples, the ones closest to him. And he has spent years, three years with them. And they have had certainly their ups and their downs. There's no question about that. They have had different things that they had to listen to and learn, and the incredible things that they were able to see, but yet the bond that they were able to form with Jesus fully their belief and their understanding of who he was and what he was all about. And all of this incredible time that they have shared with him, although he has been telling them that time was to be short and even that time was quickly coming to an end. Picture with me the scene that John's gospel gives us. In John 13, 14, 15, 16, and 17, it is really the final moment that Jesus is spending with these men in a room where they are together. Jesus fully aware of what's to happen next. Just moments away from being in the garden, being arrested being tried through the night, and being crucified. Imagine from his perspective what he wants to share with them in their final moments together. Now this passage, in a lot of ways, we're pretty familiar with. There's certainly several of the stories that are there. I think sometimes we lose sight a little bit. We lose sight of the timing of it, that it begins there in John chapter 13 as Caleb read for us and carries with it in that one moment and that one sitting all the way through John 17. And a lot of the events we're pretty familiar with, such as what happens in John chapter 13 right after where we read that Jesus girds himself with a towel and he washes the feet of those disciples, teaching them about the importance of humility and the importance of service and certainly in thinking about their relationship, not necessarily with him, but certainly with each other. 
towards the end of that chapter and into John chapter 15 as he really is beginning to get them to understand that, that he's about to leave and where he's going, they're not going to be able to follow with them then. But his relationship with them and certainly with the Father, that he is the key to the access to God, the Father. He is the way, the truth, and the life. No one gets to the Father except through me in John chapter 14. In John chapter 15, another passage that we're familiar with is Jesus talks to them about the bond of their relationship with God. And the illustration that he uses of the vine and the branches. And certainly we're familiar with John chapter 17. Where after Jesus has finished talking to the disciples, he bows and prays what I reference as the Lord's Prayer in John chapter 17. But it is John chapter 16 that sometimes we miss. And specifically for a few minutes this morning, I want us to spend a little bit of time, not the entirety of the chapter, but just the very end, which I want you to put into your mind is the last words that he has for his disciples. On a night that would have been rife with emotion. Well, we learned already Judas and what he had in his mind and his heart, he was already taken care of. And now all that Jesus had talked to his disciples about and all that they would have been thinking and all that they would have been feeling, what does he want to leave with them? It is a powerful point. Certainly important for them, but really also important for each of us. And so this morning, we're going to spend our time in John chapter 16, and we're going to take a look at verses 16 through 33. And, and, and there is, in essence, a point to be made about the key component to what he wants to leave with them. And it's something that we've got to have in our heads as well. Before we do that, I want to welcome everyone. Thank you so much for being here. We've got a big crowd of folks with us this morning. We certainly appreciate you being here. A lot of people that we love as members here at Traders Point, but a lot of visitors with us as well. We want to let you know we are honored that you have chosen to be here with us as we worship our God, as Ted has made mention of, the key component and the most important thing that happens on a beautiful day like this is to be here with you, worshiping our God together. What a powerful worship it has been and what a great opportunity we have now to learn something from God and from his word that we can put in our lives, take with us, put us closer to him. And that's certainly what John chapter 16 does. And so what he does is he's going to begin really with the base. I want you not to lose sight in your mind of all that has happened and all that he's talked to them about. It would have been a frightful time for them, a fearful time for them, a sad time for them. That their rock, their compatriot, their leader, their mentor, Jesus, is about to leave, physically leave. And they don't really understand how that's going to be for them moving forward. Most certainly, it probably wasn't a highly joyful moment for them. 
But what is impressive to me and what I want us to not lose sight of this morning is that absolutely is the focus of Jesus at the end of this conversation. That I know that there's some difficult things going on. I know that there are some difficult things to come. But even in the face of that difficulty, even in the face of that trouble, even in the face of you feeling like you are alone, God brings joy. That's what his intention is. Let's read this together. John chapter 16, beginning of verse 16. We're going to read down through verse 22. And I want you to look for this baseline principle of God and joy. Listen to this. A little while, this is Jesus, a little while and you will not see me. And again, a little while and you will see me because I go to the Father. And then some of his disciples said among themselves, well, what is this that he says to us? A little while and you will not see me. And again, a little while and you will see me. And because I go to the Father. And they said, therefore, what is that that he says a little while? We do not know what he is saying. And now Jesus knew that they had desired to ask him. And he said to them, are you inquiring among themselves about what I said? A little while and you will not see me. And again, a little while and you will see me. Most assuredly, I say to you, you will weep, lament, but the world will rejoice and you will be sorrowful. But your sorrow will be turned into joy. A woman, when she is in labor, has sorrow because her hour has come. But as soon as she has given birth to the child, she no longer remembers the anguish for joy that a human being has been born into the world. Therefore, you now have sorrow, but I will see you again, and your heart will rejoice. And your joy, listen, your joy no one will take from you. Now, I want you to understand now the point is he's concluding all of what he has talked to them about. And he is down to the very end. These are the last words before he is to be in the garden, arrested, crucified. And what does he want them to focus on? He wants them to focus on, don't be sorrowful. Don't be downtrodden. Don't be behind the bushes. You be joyful. You know they're there thinking, what what are we to be joyful about? It's not we want you to stay. We want you to be here. We don't want to be all alone. We don't want there to be trouble. We don't want to have difficulty. But his baseline principle is this. God brings joy. You see, even the illustration that he uses of a woman who gives birth, that, that, that same baby who in the moment is causing pain also causes joy. But see, this is how God operates. Uh, Not just here in John chapter 16. I want you to think about biblically. Throughout history, it's the way that God operates. He he seemingly takes impossible-looking situations, and he transforms them. At times from trial into triumph, at other times from sorrow into joy, that's what God does. Think about Joseph and his story. Joseph's brother sold him into slavery. Potiphar put him into prison. But God transformed that hopeless situation from defeat to victory. 
Even in the book of Exodus, Egypt's terrible persecution upon God's people caused them to multiply, Scripture tells us, and to prosper and to be blessed even more. King Saul's murderous plots against David and constant chasing him around made him more of a man of God. And it produced, think about all of the Psalms that were written during that time that we can even be encouraged and admonished with even today. Even Jesus himself in just a little while will take the cross, a symbol of defeat, a symbol of shame and embarrassment and transform that into victory, glory even. It's what God does. He brings joy. There's a heavy discussion here in John chapter 16 about this little while conversation. Did you take note of that? It's hard to miss it. Jesus says, you know, in a little while you, you, you see me, in a little while you won't, but then you'll see me again. And, and then you, you have this little discourse between the disciples. They're talking among themselves. They're like, oh, what does he mean by that there in a little while? And they're, they're almost garnering up the courage to ask the question. But Jesus, he cuts them off at the pass. And he says, I know you're about to, to ask a question. And, and so he talks to them a little bit more about that. And so, listen, this could be a couple of different things, what he's talking about. One I like more than the other, and I'll tell you why here in just a moment. He possibly could be talking about his crucifixion, and then a few days later, his resurrection. You won't see me, but in a little while you will. Three days, I'll rise again. He's been telling them that for years now. He's been making that point, but I think it could be a little bit more even than that. Because of the phrase he uses in verse 16, he uses it again in verse 10 of the same chapter that we, have, we didn't read. But it's at the very end of that. He says, a little while you will not see me. And again, a little while you will see me because I go to the Father, he says. Very similar, chapter 16 and verse 10, maybe in the same opening or one page back. He talks again of righteousness because I go to my Father and you see me no more. Although it certainly could be that he's making mention of this per his crucifixion and then resurrection, it could also be at their death they'll see him again. I like that application a lot better because it plays out real well for us today. Because that ultimately is the key component for us. How is it that I'm able to endure the things of this world that I have to endure? How is it I'm able to manage and to navigate difficulty and trouble? How am I able to spend time at school or at work when uh, relatively I'm all by myself trying to live godly and everyone else around me is trying to be wicked and is trying to influence me even for wickedness? How am I able to navigate those waters? Well, I'm able to navigate those waters because of the incredible, joyful thing that I'm going to see God and Christ one day. And because of that, I can put up with anything. It now is your perspective. And our perspective, our feeling, our emotion, has an impact on time. 
Now, before you start to think, well, is that magic or are you going to do? No, but think about it. Our emotion or our feeling or our perspective has an impact on time. I'm going to feel a little bit bad about this. I'm not super bad because I'm still going to do it. Uh, It's super cliche, and Nate's going to understand. He's sitting so close, and he's looking so, he's paying so good attention. I'm not going to look in his direction when I use this illustration. But for example, they say, not Nate's chair, but the dentist's chair. You can be in that thing for 15 or 20 minutes, but it feels like three or four hours. Again, not Nate's chair, not Dr. Nate's chair, but all of the other dentists. Because our perspective, our feeling has an impact on time, what we're thinking. It's the same way that we can go out to the golf course and we can spend four or five hours or we can go fishing and spend four or five hours or we can do something we can enjoy. We can sit at a dinner table for four or five or six hours with good friends and suddenly you look at your your watch and you're like, have we been here five hours? It feels like ten minutes, right? Because you're enjoying it so much. It probably is everybody's perspective at the end of every single one of mine and John's lessons, right? You're like, man, is it over already? It seemed like it was just a few seconds. But see, we understand that because it's something that we enjoy. It's something that we are feeling good about. And now the time just doesn't have a huge impact. Think about if we were able to do that with life. If I was able to approach life that way, not this one little moment that we're talking about in the dentist chair or on the golf course or at the dinner table with good friends, but what if I was able to carry that perspective in life to focus my joy on God and what he's all about? The difficulties and troubles that come in this world are nothing minuscule, small, minute amount of time. You see, that's where Jesus wants them to be. You see, for us, if we look at Jesus and seeing him as so far away, we will struggle in this life. But if we can have the perspective that I'm going to see Jesus and I'm going to see him soon, man, it makes a huge difference here. And so how does he build upon that? Well, look at the very next section. In John chapter 16, there's two other pieces we're going to look at very quickly in comparison to this first point. But he's going to move from this base principle to build upon that idea and focus in on prayer. Look at what he says, verse 23 now of John chapter 16. He says, and in that day you will ask me nothing. Most assuredly, I say to you, whatever you ask the Father in my name, he will give you. Until now, you have asked nothing in my name. Ask and you will receive that your joy may be full. Jesus, uh, uh, these things I have uh, spoken to you in figurative language. But the time is coming Well, I will no longer speak to you in figurative language, but I will tell you plainly about the Father. 
And that day you will ask in my name, and, and do not say to you that I shall pray the Father for you, for the Father himself loves you, because you have loved me and have believed that I came forth from God. I came forth from the Father and have come into the world again. I leave the world and go to the Father. I want you to see here the centralized theme of this section is prayer. But I want you to understand how he ties this to joy. Did you notice that in verse 24? Until now you've asked nothing in my name. Ask and you will receive that your joy may be full. You see, while Jesus was here on earth, as he's talking to these disciples, remember, he's about to go, he's about to leave, and he spent all of this time with them. And while he was there on earth, he met all of their needs. He met all of their needs. Everything they needed, he provided. But now he's going to return to the Father. And Jesus wants them to understand, the Father will meet your needs. I've met your needs here, and even though I'm leaving, it doesn't mean that now we have forgotten, but the Father, the Father will be the one who will meet your needs. And I want you to understand how incredible this promise is. Incredible privilege that we have in prayer. So when you study books like Acts, and you see the early church depending on prayer, why did they do that? Because they believed these promises. They had things that they needed. And they asked God of those things. This is how joy comes from prayer. Understanding this promise, this promise that is there. Understanding the key component to it. I can be joyful because God supplies all of my needs. One final piece. In John chapter 16 now, in verse 29 to the end of the chapter, he closes, closes with this idea. Go Put your mind all the way back to John chapter 13. He's now closing this discussion. John 16 verse 29. His disciples said to him, See, now you are speaking plainly and using no figure of speech. Now we are sure that you know all things and have no need that anyone should question you. By this, we believe that you came forth from God. Jesus answered them, do you now believe? Indeed, the hour is coming, yes, and has now come, that you will be scattered, each to his own, and will leave me alone. And yet I am not alone because the Father is with me. These things I have spoken to you that in me you may have peace. In the world you will have tribulation, but be a good cheer. I have overcome the world. It's interesting here at the very beginning of this that the disciples in this entirety of conversation are now affirming their understanding. But more importantly than that, they are not just affirming their understanding of what Jesus is talking about. They are affirming their faith in him. And I think this is really interesting because you have this phrase at the end of verse 30 that, that we believe you, we believe that you came forth from God. 
And Jesus believes that. How do we know? Because it's what he tells God. It's what he tells his father. I mean, you can hold your finger there. Again, maybe it's the same opening, but maybe the same. uh, Maybe you've got to turn a page. But in John chapter 17, when Jesus is praying and he's talking about the disciples, whom they have just affirmed, their belief in who he is, listen to what he says about them. In verse 6 of John chapter 17, he says, I have manifested your name to the men whom you have given me out of the world. They were yours, you gave them to me, and they have kept your word. Now they have known that all things which you have given me are from you. For I have given to them the words which you have given me, and they have received them, and have known surely that I have came forth from you, and they believe that you've sent me. You see, Jesus reports that to to God. But a lesson that we see here, one in which each and every one of us this morning need to be careful of, that it is in every way possible to have faith, to have understanding, to have assurance, but yet still fail the Lord. That's what happens right here. Judas has already been run off and gone, but Peter will deny the Lord. Each will be scattered away. So the point is, it's not about just having faith and understanding and assurance. It is about practicing that faith. It's about applying that understanding and about resting on that assurance. But if we don't do those things, we're going to fail in time of testing. We're going to be pushed by the world and we will crumble. Unless we are practicing our faith and applying our understanding and resting in our assurance. One last point. John chapter 16 and verse 33, the very climax of what we'll call the upper room message. What is the point? What is the final thing that he shares? In me, you'll have peace. That's what he says at the very end. These things I have spoken to you, verse 33, that you may have peace. But you notice the contrast that you have. A really interesting contrast here. The contrast in verse 33 is that in me you have peace. So the contrast is in me followed up by in the world. In Christ there is peace, in the world there is tribulation. It's an incredible contrast. It is a reality that played out then, and it is a reality that continues to play out today. In Christ, there is peace. In in the world, there is tribulation. It is the most simplest of facts. I guess the point that's being made here as he talks about the fact that we can be of good cheer, that he has overcome the world, For every single one of us, every one of us this morning, we will either be overcome or we will be an overcomer. In Christ, we will overcome. In the world, we will be overcome. 
And so he closes with be of good cheer. The literal translation of that phrase that Jesus uses multiple times literally means cheer up. Lift up your chin. Lift up your head. You have beautiful things laying ahead of you. So in this section, Jesus reveals a wonderful principle. The principle is this. God transforms our sorrow into joy. But this principle will not work in our lives unless we believe in his promises and we pray. But we will not be able to pray effectively if we do not position ourselves as conquerors in Christ. What a powerful ending to an emotional message given by Jesus in the upper room. The moments before he is arrested, tried, and crucified. Important for them, sure, but important for each of us. As we live in a world that is rife with wickedness and difficulty, the promises remain the same for us. In the world that we live in, oftentimes we may feel neglected or we may feel alone or we may feel impossible to stand up against what the devil comes at us with. We're reminded here, as Jesus reminded those men, you can stand, you can overcome, but even more than that, you can be joyful because of what we have to come. But remember, and don't lose sight of, all of those incredible blessings, especially the peace that we're each looking for, in Christ. It's the only place that it's found. And so if you're here this morning, and you are not in Christ, and God tells us plainly in his scripture how we can be in Christ, he tells us that we are baptized into Christ, having our sins washed away, if that isn't where you are this morning, this incredible promise of peace is elusive for you. But it's there. Maybe we can help you this morning. If you've been in Christ, but you've walked away from Him, why did you do that? It was a foolish step to take. But God has provided a blessing of an incredible opportunity to do something about it today. I would encourage you to do that. Maybe we can help with that as well. If we can, you let us know as we stand and as we sing.